Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. It's my privilege to introduce our speaker for this weekend. His name is Pastor Brian Park. And he serves as the lead pastor at Restoration Community Church. It's a church that many of us are familiar with. We have friends who are a part of that congregation. Um, pastor Brian is husband to Jane, father to Timothy, Titus, and Leah. Really good biblical names. Great job. And the reason that we invited Pastor Brian is because um, I traveled with him to Haiti uh, this past year, along with Joe and Ed, and I happened to sit in on a pastoral training conference we were doing, and I sat under his teaching, and uh, I can confirm he is a gifted communicator, but what I really saw ringing out that drew me so much uh, was his heart for the Lord and for people. There was a genuineness, uh, a passion in what he was saying to these Haitian pastors, and the way that he was saying it, that just really stirred my heart. And I wanted for our congregation to experience that this year at our retreat. We get to do this retreat every two years. I love this weekend. It's such an important time for our church to feel like a large family. Um, and so as we sit under his teaching, let's continue to encourage him with attentive hearts, smiling faces. And as he comes up, let's welcome him with warm applause. Pastor Brian. Can you use this one? It's okay. All right. Well, thank you for that kind introduction, Pastor Dave, and thank you so much for this opportunity, this privilege for me to be here. I really do consider it a privilege. Uh, First of all, any opportunity to speak God's word is an immense privilege, but in particular for this church, uh, this church means a lot to me personally. Uh, First of all, just as a pastor, um, knowing Pastor Dave as long as I have, and really seeing him as a leader even for myself and many other younger brother pastors, uh, a mentor in many ways, someone who uh, I have watched just faithfully labor in the same place uh, for uh, many, many years, and along with that, uh, all the lay leaders and staff here. And in addition to that, I also have uh, many friends and even family relatives who are here at Harvest, uh, both currently and even formerly uh, at Harvest. And uh, so uh, this church has uh, really meant a lot to me personally and also to my church where I attend now, where I'm serving in Naperville. And I'll be sharing a little bit more about uh, that story uh, later on tonight and uh, through this weekend. So thank you again for this opportunity to be here. I'll try my best to... Be interesting and relevant, but more than anything else, I just want to proclaim God's word and uh, hope that he will speak his truth 
even through me, for uh, all of our encouragement together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to read the first eight verses from John chapter 3. You can follow along as, as I read. I believe the passages are in your retreat booklets. You can follow along on your Bible app, or if you brought your book Bible, and it's also on the screen here. I'll be reading from the New International Version. John chapter 3, and um, tonight I'll be uh, reading from verses 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is God's word. In the fall of 2012, my family moved to Naperville. There are a lot of beautiful homes in Naperville. And I've noticed that many of these beautiful homes also feature professional landscaping. And if they're not professionally landscaped, the homeowners have a real talent for yard maintenance. Because... I've seen lawns that are immaculately cut and edged and fertilized. There's not a weed in sight. The flowers and the plants all seem carefully chosen and spaced with care. And even the bricks and stones seem to be perfectly arranged. But not our home. If you ever visit our home, you'd notice right away that our grass has some brown patches edging is kind of uneven, mostly because I'm too lazy to do it every time I cut my own grass. And we hardly have any pretty plants growing around the house. In fact, we used to have nothing but tall weeds that grew on one side. And we finally paid someone to remove them all and put down some mulch and then fabric cover because we were just too lazy and too tired to do it ourselves. The truth is, and she would fully agree, my wife and I just aren't good at maintaining our lawn, or taking care of plants, or flowers. We just don't have the eye or the work ethic to keep up with all that. We did try a couple times. I remember going to a home improvement store once to look around for some flowers. There was a rose plant that caught our eye, mainly because it had a large tag attached to it. And on this tag, it read, if you can dig a hole, you can plant this flower. We looked at each other and we thought, we can do that. This is perfect for us. So we bought it, took it home, dug the hole, planted it, and then we watered it as frequently as we were told. And I actually used to work at a flower shop when I was in 
college, believe it or not. So I happen to know that roses are what you might call high-maintenance flowers. You need some TLC, some water, care, you got to talk to it. And... But to our disappointment, didn't grow. In fact, it started wilting. And so we kept watering it and talking to it and praying for it, hoping it would come around, but didn't. And a few days later, we realized it was dead. <laughs> Again, we don't know a lot about landscaping or gardening, but we knew enough to know that if a plant is dead, it doesn't matter how much water you give to it. It's not going to grow. A pretty silly story, but I hope the point is fairly clear. We can't experience renewal if we're not even alive. That's true in the physical realm, and it's also true in the spiritual realm. By now, we all know the theme of this year's retreat is times of refreshing. And ever since Pastor Dave invited me to serve as a guest speaker, I've been praying that God will indeed fill all of us here who are hungry and thirsty for him. But for this first session tonight, I kind of want to put the cart back behind the horse and talk about a crucial, essential condition for experiencing times of refreshing. Just as a withering plant can't be renewed if it's not physically alive, so too we cannot experience times of refreshing if we're not spiritually alive. To put it another way, we can't be revived unless we've been vived first. Now, just one simple basic concept I want to communicate tonight, and it's simply in order to experience times of refreshing, we must first make sure we've experienced the spiritual rebirth, hence the title, Refreshing and Rebirth. Those who are old enough here in this room remember how the phrase born-again Christian entered into the mainstream American vocabulary. It was popularized by Jimmy Carter. He described himself as a born-again Christian during his presidential campaign in the 1970s. But he didn't invent that term. President Carter was, and he still is, a devout Christian. So when he first described himself as a born-again Christian, he knew that the phrase came from Jesus himself, from tonight's passage. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story. It features a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a question, which may not seem all that unusual to us except Nicodemus is not your typical guy. John gives us some background on him. According to verse 1, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, most of us here know who the Pharisees were. They were the religious leaders in the day. And they were famous for knowing the Old Testament inside out. Actually, they weren't just experts in the Old Testament. They were also well-versed in the thousands of oral and written traditions that surrounded the Old Testament. And they didn't just know these traditions, they practiced these traditions fastidiously, strictly. What I'm basically saying is that the Pharisees were known to be among the most devout practitioners of their religion. Nicodemus, John tells us, was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. It says in verse 1, the Jewish ruling council was a governing body with delegated authority from the Romans to govern on certain political and legal and, yes, spiritual matters in the city and the surrounding area. According to historical sources, this Jewish ruling council had only 71 members 
and Nicodemus was one of them. My point here is Nicodemus is not your average guy. He's a respected man in the city. He's a scholar. He is pious. He had political power. But then he heard about Jesus, and something about Jesus caught his attention. By now, many of Nicodemus' fellow Pharisees had grown a bit uncomfortable, even angry with some of the things that Jesus had been saying and doing. But Nicodemus was intrigued. And this might be why he decides to approach Jesus while it's still nighttime. John mentions that in verse 2. Nicodemus wants to talk with Jesus and find out about, about him more, but he doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. And so he comes to Jesus undercover, as it were, and he starts things off. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. I don't know about you, but that is a rather odd way to start a conversation. Okay, I'm not sure what Jesus is supposed to say to that. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, but perhaps Nicodemus is really asking a question when he says this, when he starts out this way. It's as if he's saying, there's something different, something unusual about you. None of the other teachers in our religion do what you do in the way that you do it. So who are you, really? Now this seems to be the perfect opportunity for Jesus to tell him who he is, to reveal his true identity. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. Why why not just go there? Because Nicodemus seems open, he seems eager, he seems ready, receptive, but he doesn't do that. Jesus does not capitalize on this opportunity. If you look with me at verse 3, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, in the world of logic, this is what we call a non sequitur. Simply stated, Jesus' answer has nothing to do with what Jesus has just said. For any of you Cup fans here, it would be like something like going to a game at Wrigley, you know, front row seats, and then you're enjoying the game, you're taking it all in, it's beautiful, the Cubs are winning, you've got some fans sitting next to you, you turn to them and you just say, Hey, how's it going? What's your name? Hey, what do you think about their chances of going back to the World Series this year? And their answer instead is White Sox. Okay? Non sequitur. Nothing to do with what you're asking. And that's what Jesus does here. His reply has nothing to do with what Nicodemus just said. And Nicodemus is understandably confused. Verse 4 How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can enter a second time into their mother's womb, be born. Jesus answered, very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. So clearly, Nicodemus is confused. He's not following. He somehow thinks that Jesus is talking about physical birth. And again, he, you know, being confused, he asks, how is this possible? And then Jesus expands on his answer in the next verse, verse 5. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now this is a bit tougher to understand. What's Jesus talking about here when he mentions the water and the Spirit? Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. One view that was more popular in earlier eras 
saw a connection with baptism, I think because of the mention of water here. Okay, the main problem with that, though, is baptism didn't exist yet, at least not in the way that it was understood and practiced by the early church. This is still very on in, early on in Jesus' ministry, so I don't think Nicodemus would have understood what Jesus was talking about if he's talking about baptism. So then what is he talking about here? Well, I think the passage itself gives us a clue. A bit later, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then a few verses after a passage, when Nicodemus still isn't following what Jesus is saying, Jesus just flat out says, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Wow, little harsh, Jesus. Little harsh. What's he doing here? Well, it seems like he's saying, you should know better. You're an expert. What was Nicodemus an expert in? The Old Testament. In other words, the answer is there. When Jesus mentions being born of the water and spirit, a light should have turned on in Nicodemus's head. He should have been thinking, oh, it sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that before? And since Nicodemus was an expert in the Old Testament, he should have been thinking of a key passage from the Old Testament, namely Ezekiel chapter 36, where God speaks to his people who are living in exile, and he promises to bring them back to their homeland, and then he promises a lot more. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What's God promising here? He's promising to cleanse his people from their sins, the sins that caused them to worship idols instead of him. He's promising to give his people new hearts. He's promising to give them new life through his spirit. He's promising a new birth that cleanses and transforms his people from the inside out. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not talking about physical birth. He's talking about the spiritual new birth that cleanses from sin. He's talking about the spiritual new birth that brings about a transformed life. Now there's some more stuff happening in this story, and I'll get to it soon, but for now I think it's important for us to understand that when Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again, he's making a claim, a pretty bold claim about the human condition. He has a dark view of the human condition. To say that you need to be born again is to imply that if we have not yet experienced this spiritual rebirth, then in a very real sense, we are living in a state of death. If we're not born again, we are spiritually dead. The Bible teaches this in many other places. And one passage that comes to mind is Ephesians 2, which starts out by saying, you were dead You were dead in your transgressions and sins before Christ. 
Of course, Jesus isn't saying you can't be a good person if you're not born again. And I'm guessing all of us here already know that Christians do not hold a monopoly on human decency. In fact, all of us here probably know unbelievers whose morality and ethics put many Christians to shame. Theologians from an earlier era used a term called civic virtue to describe such unbelievers who display this kind of extraordinary honesty and kindness and compassion. I bet we all have friends and relatives who are just like this. There's a good chance that Nicodemus was someone like this, someone who displayed this kind of civic virtue. But Jesus isn't focusing on how a person's behavior affects his fellow man or woman. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God. Verse 3, unless they are born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. His main concern here is the human condition from God's perspective, from God's eyes from God's viewpoint. And his startling claim is that in God's perspective, there isn't a single human being who possesses enough civic virtue to earn his or her own way into the kingdom. In God's eyes, all of us, we all are spiritually dead, so we can't get to him on our own. He has to perform the miracle of regeneration. God has to grant the gift of spiritual rebirth that cleanses us from sin and gives us new life through his spirit. So we have Jesus offering a very dark view of the human condition. There are many who believe that human beings are essentially good. There are also many who believe that people possess both light and darkness within them. That's what Sirius Black said to Harry Potter. At least in the movie version of the Order of the Phoenix. According to him, there's Light and dark in all of us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. Well, according to Jesus, if we're not born again, there's no light in us. There's only darkness. We're spiritually dead. And so we cannot enter God's kingdom, much less grow in it. We can't do any of that unless... He first performs the miracle of spiritual rebirth. Now there's another lesson we can learn. Jesus uses an analogy as he's talking to Nicodemus. And in verse 8, he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. What he's saying is we can't predict the spiritual new birth, but we can often sense when it has happened. Nobody can predict exactly when or where the wind will blow, but we can hear it, we can see it, we can feel its effects. In the same way, no one can predict exactly when or how God will bring about the spiritual new birth in a person, but we can often sense when it's happened. We can see, we can feel its effects. How can we sense it? How can we sense when the spiritual rebirth has happened? Well, we we have to look for signs of life. What are some of these signs? Well, I thought of a whole bunch, but for the sake of time tonight, I'm going to share just three. One sign of the spiritual new birth is a new hunger and thirst. My kids are all older now. 
Uh, Pastor Dave mentioned uh, my oldest, Timothy. He's going to be starting his freshman year at Naperville Central High School next month. But, you know, I still remember being amazed during feeding time when he was a baby. I remember how he'd cry so loud at the top of his lungs. Why? Well, he didn't didn't know how to talk, I guess that's one reason, but he was hungry. He was hungry. And I remember the moment the milk bottle went into his mouth, he would stop crying immediately, and then he would start sucking on that milk bottle like his life depended on it. I think hunger and thirst are signs of life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. One sign of life is that we become hungry and thirsty for the things that will help us grow. And I think this especially applies to God's truth in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I have never met a growing Christian who doesn't have an eager desire for increasing their knowledge and love of the Word of God. The ones who are most hungry can't seem to get enough. You know, to be honest, talking about this now makes me feel bad because... There was a time in my life when this was really true of me. I remember a season during my college days where I felt like I could not get enough of the Bible. I remember setting a New Year's resolution one year to read 10 chapters a day. And I actually kept that resolution. I burned through Genesis in less than a week. And then I did Exodus and then got through the rest of the first five books well before the end of January. Even Leviticus and Numbers couldn't slow me down. And I remember I ended up finishing the entire Bible before summer break. And so I started all over again, this time in a different translation. And I finished it again at around Halloween. And so I started again. And yet a third translation. And after that, I thought, well, maybe I'll try a different tactic. I heard about this from a radio preacher, and so... I decided instead of reading 10 chapters a day, I'm going to read the entire book of Philippians in one sitting. It's only four chapters, so it was a lot faster. That's what I did on day one in the new month. And then day two, I read through Philippians again. Four chapters, so pretty quick. And then day three, I read through Philippians again. Again, pretty quick. But then I started noticing certain things like, oh... This paragraph is kind of leading into this paragraph. And this chapter is kind of building on his progression of thought from the previous chapter. I kind of see what he's doing here. He's giving some truths in the first half. And then he's telling us how to live based on those truths in the second half. And then I read through Philippians again. And then I read through Philippians again. And by the end of the first month, I had read through Philippians 30 times. And I felt like I had a pretty decent grasp of the message of Philippians. And so I said, well, what do I do next? I'll try another book. I went to Matthew. Oh, Matthew's 28 chapters. I can't read 28 chapters in one day. I'm going to break it up into four, you know, four sections. So I read chapters 1 through 7 that first day. Okay, from the birth account and the Sermon on the Mount. Then the next day I read chapters 1 through 7 again. And then the third day, chapters 1 through 7 again. And by the end of the second month I read through Matthew chapters 1 through 7 30 times. 
And then the following month, I did the same thing, 8 through 14. And then the next month, 15 to 21. And by the end of four months, I had read through the book of Matthew 30 times. And then I went on to Romans. I split that in two, chapters 1 through 8, 9 through 16. And then I did James. And I went on and on and on. And, you know, I'm not sharing any of this to brag. Again, it actually makes me feel ashamed because there used to be a time in my life when I felt this kind of insatiable hunger for God's word. And I miss those days. It'll probably sound ironic, but I have found that I've actually been reading less of the Bible after I started seminary and entered into full-time vocational ministry than I did during my college and early young adult days. And there are probably other factors causing this too, like getting married, having kids, and then the arrival of those ever-present digital distractions. I'm ashamed to admit that these things have all cut very deeply into my Bible intake. But I really miss that season in my life. And I pray for times of refreshing in my own walk with Christ. And I know that one sign that it's coming is when I have this renewed hunger for the word of God. A hunger for God and his truth is an important sign of life. It's a crucial sign that the spiritual rebirth has happened. Another sign is what I call a new sense of belonging. A new sense of belonging. One of the first and most powerful experiences in the life of a newborn baby is the realization that he or she isn't alone. In an ideal world, there's a loving family, parents, and very often siblings as well. And it's not long before the baby realizes that he or she is part of a family where he'll be loved, where she'll be accepted, protected. No matter what, there's a sense of belonging. And I think this is true of a spiritual rebirth as well. When a person experiences the new birth, he will crave not only God's truth, but also a place to belong. And the church is meant to meet that newfound need to belong. Again, if you show me a Christian who is experiencing times of refreshing, I'll very likely show you a Christian who belongs in a church, who's plugged in, who's involved, because those two things almost always go hand in hand. And I think that's how God intended it to be. About eight years ago, I stood before this congregation, not here, but at Hoffman Estates High School. And I shared about a new church plant that was starting up in Naperville. I remember Pastor Dave being so generous to carve out a portion of Harvest Sunday service just so that I could share a little bit about this church plant and ask for your prayers. Thank you for praying for us. I'm happy to report that God in his grace has kept our doors open since that time. People have walked through our doors to visit, and some of them actually decided to stick around. Come back for a second visit, for a third visit, fourth visit, and then kind of call it home and plug in and serve and really plant their roots in Restoration Community Church. But having said that, our honeymoon period is long gone. We're not a perfect church by any stretch. And, you know, we struggle with many of the same issues that 
challenge even the healthiest churches that I know. But I will say this. One thing that has encouraged me is hearing a few people say that they feel so much closer to their church family at our church than their actual blood relatives. And that's really sad in a way. I I think family dysfunction can be one of the most painful experiences a person can have. But to hear a few of our folks say that, they actually feel closer with their friends here at our church than their own family, that tells me we're doing something right. We're doing something right. These friends feel like they really belong. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Why? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Peter encourages his readers in the church to love one another deeply. Why? Because they've been born again. They've experienced the spiritual rebirth. Crucial sign of life. One sign we've experienced this new birth is we have this new desire to connect deeply with our spiritual community. We're not content any longer staying on the margins. We're not satisfied with just dropping in every now and then. We really want to plug in. I mean, I mean really plug in. Like make this place feel like home, like family, like closer than family which means you're willing to do the hard work of loving one another because you firmly believe it's worth it. One more sign, the spiritual new birth. I mentioned new hunger and thirst for God, new sense of belonging. I think there's also an assurance of the Father's love. When we're born again, we're not just born into any family, we're born into God's family, which means we don't just gain new spiritual brothers and sisters, we also gain a perfect heavenly father. And his love for us is not like any other love in this universe. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. One of my most powerful experiences of this reality didn't happen when I was a pastor. It didn't happen when I was in seminary or when I was serving diligently on a short-term mission trip. It happened when I was a high school freshman. It was the holiday season, and my 46-year-old father was near the end of his battle with stomach cancer. He finally passed away on December 15th at 2 a.m., just a couple hours after my 15th birthday. We had a lot of family and friends who really came alongside us and and loved on us and took good care of us. But I remember that Christmas holiday in the winter of 1988 was a rough one for our family. At the time, my parents were attending a large church in downtown Wheaton. They were actually members of that church. But they also uh, were part of a small immigrant Korean church in Elmhurst that many of my relatives were at. A couple of them are here. And um, my mom decided to send me on a winter retreat offered by this Korean church. And I remember it started on the day after Christmas. I don't know why. For some reason, winter retreats were always like December 26th through like New Year's Eve, you know. And then you come home and you're super tired and then bring in the New Year. 
And I'm not sure if she just wanted to get me out of the house, you know, please leave. I need some alone time. Or, you know, she wanted me just to um, get my mind off of it. But she sent me. Now, if you're not familiar with what I call the old school Korean style of worship and prayer, it's pretty intense. And for a guy who attended a very conservative, predominantly Caucasian church in downtown Wheaton for most of his life, that took some getting used to. But it was that winter retreat in 1988 at the Inspiration Center in Lake Geneva. I remember where it was. That was the place where I had my first powerful assurance of my father's love. And I remember it wasn't during any of the sermons. It wasn't during the singing. It was actually during the prayer time. I remember I was praying in a verse that someone had written on a sympathy card a couple weeks before it came to my mind. And that verse was Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm 68, verse 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And as I was reflecting on that verse at that retreat, all of the truths that I had learned and stored up in my head through years and years of great Sunday school teaching, all of those precious truths came rushing down into my heart. And I knew at that moment, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God was my Father, and that He was going to take care of me, and He would be with me no matter what. I can't really explain it with words. You could call it a mystical encounter. John Wesley famously called his experience of God's love a strange warming of the heart. Call it what you will. I knew at that moment that God was my true Father, and that His fatherly love was more real to me than even the people who were sitting next to me at that retreat. Now that's my experience of the Father's love. Your experience might be similar or it might be totally different. But I believe that all believers who have experienced the spiritual rebirth will experience this unshakable assurance of the Father's love at some point. Now I want to close with what I hope will be uh, an important encouragement. When I made this decision to address this topic of refreshing and rebirth, I didn't at all want to insinuate that a lot of us here have not experienced a spiritual rebirth. Okay? I just want to make that clear. Okay. Of course, it goes without saying that if you're still sorting through some of the claims that Jesus made about himself, and if you're still kind of rustling through some of the tenets of Christianity, then we're so glad you're here. And we hope you have a wonderful worthwhile time this weekend. But I know that Harvest is in many ways a very mature church. Okay? You, you all have really been one of the leaders for many of us smaller, younger communities in the Chicago metro area. As we try to navigate these waters of being on mission as a multi-ethnic congregation in these times. So I'm not in any way trying to imply that I'm speaking to a group who by and large have not experienced a spiritual new birth. Not at all. But I know for me, an important first step for refreshing is remembering. I need to remember those times 
when I couldn't get enough of God's word. I need to remember those times when my Christian community sometimes felt closer than my own family. I need to remember that undeniable assurance of my Father's love. I need to remember these things so that I can ask God to renew them today. I've also found that remembering these times also renews my appreciation of the fact that the spiritual new birth is a miracle. It's a miracle. Being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a miracle. If we're Christians, it's because of the grace of God. It's not because we were born and raised in a Christian home, though that's an incredible blessing. It's not because we've been going to church for a certain amount of time, though I never tell someone to stop going to church. If we're Christians, it's because God, in his grace, performed the miracle of regeneration in us. God raised us from spiritual death. I quoted from Ephesians earlier in the same chapter. Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This opportunity to enter God's kingdom, this opportunity to be saved, this opportunity to even desire refreshing, that is a gift. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can only humbly receive it by the grace and mercy of God. My brothers and sisters, let's pray that God will indeed bring times of refreshing at this retreat. And maybe, maybe for some of us, the first step we can take is remembering the miracle that God has done in us and for us. And remembering those times in our lives when we experienced these signs of the new birth. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here at this retreat together this weekend. Father, as we look for times of refreshing, we pray that you would help us to remember the words of our Savior from this passage. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Thank you, Lord, so much for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, so much for the miracle of the new birth. God, if there are any friends here who aren't sure if they've experienced this rebirth or have questions about it like Nicodemus did in our passage, I pray that you would allow them to hear your gentle voice inviting them inviting them to you. For the many of us here who have experienced this new birth, Lord, would you please renew our hunger for you, especially for your word. Would you please renew our commitment 
to our Christian community here? Would you build new bridges, new friendships, that in your time will feel closer than family? Would you repair broken, strained friendships at this retreat? And Lord, would you please help us to experience a fresh assurance of your love for us as our perfect Heavenly Father. Would you do these things for us, your children, and for your name's sake? We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.